Hello, welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. We just landed back in the UK yesterday, mid-morning, after a whirlwind weekend trip to Canada to celebrate my gorgeous husband Bobby Kay's 40th birthday. Though his real 40th birthday is tomorrow, April 19th, please reach out to him on Instagram. I wish him a happy birthday if you fancy it. I mean... It's a nice thing to do. I don't know how much Bobby cares about his birthday. He doesn't seem to care. And I believe that because I don't care either. We're just not birthday people. I don't think getting older bothers us equally. I don't think celebrating ourselves. Maybe it's because we get too much attention. I'm not an attention seeker in my real life because all I do in my professional life is stand on a stage or talk to people when they're driving their car, or ironing, or gardening, or on the school run, or going for a walk with the dog. I just, me, 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 all day long. I get to be the center of attention. That's why I never wanted to have a wedding, and I would not particularly like to have a big 40th birthday. But I decided to plan one for Bobby anyway, because I believe now in this phenomenon called secondary fun. No, it was not explicitly fun to leave Fred with his executive assistant, Miriam, for the weekend, hop on a flight after being in Birmingham for another episode of Late Night Lyset, the Joe Lyset show, which I still have not been on because I continue to get stuck on the dressing room barge in a variety of hilarious scenarios. If you're not watching Late Night Lyset, then what are you missing? You can catch up on 4OD or you can watch the next live episode this Friday on Channel 4. I will be a guest again. I am trying so hard to actually be interviewed by Joe Lysett. And last week I missed out on meeting Joan Collins and that cuts like a knife. The GC was on like some of my favorite guests and I would love to be a guest on the Joe Lysett show, Late Night Lysett, Channel 4, live every Friday at 10 p.m. But currently the drive to Birmingham every week is a fucking delight for nothing, for nothing. I have things to promote, Joe. Uh, Romantic Getaway, the Sky comedy sitcom that Ramesh Ranganathan created that I also star in with a very small embryonic fetus, Fena. (laughs) She was a fetus. I was like 12 weeks pregnant with Fena when we shot that. Um, That is premiering in Canada today. So I'm doing a few interviews with Canadian press after this. And um, I just had no idea it was ever going to be on in Canada. And they must be like, what? What's this British show got a Canadian main character for? I hope that me being Canadian had something to do with selling it to Canada, though Canadian entertainment, from what I understand, has zero money, so they probably paid six acorns for it and a liter of poutine. Oh, the food in Canada was so good. We ate so badly. My mom was horrified. My mom is always... I don't know what my mom's doing. I don't really know. Like My mom has to comment on food on what she has or hasn't eaten and what we have or haven't eaten. And that comes from growing up in the 70s. And I think that all of our mothers are disordered in some way when it comes to food. But I certainly most fucking am not. So when I go home to Canada, it is Burrito Boys, Poutine. Oh, no, it's not Burrito Boys. Bobby's favorite burrito place is called Fat Bastard Burrito. That's where we had burritos from. And Caesars and just crap. We just eat like terrible comfort food really because we haven't tried it in months and months my mom's like oh oh lord well I could make you a salad and we're like Jules it's not I'm not hungry I'm not hungry I'm just eating a burrito but I'm not hungry I don't need you to make me a salad my mom makes this really lovely bean and potato tomato based mix called melange 
And Violet loves it. We love it, but we didn't want it on this trip. We kept ordering poutine and my mom's like, the ring camera is being activated off the chain because you girls keep ordering takeout. Why are you eating pizza again? I wasn't eating pizza. Bobby wanted Violet to try crazy bread. But I digress. No, it's not fun in the moment to rush to Canada for a quick weekend, but it had to be done because Bobby really misses his friends. He has a lot of friends. His family miss him. His friends want to see him as well. So I felt like I planned the party, not just for Bobby, but for the memories and the video that we'll have of the event and the photos, but also just to give his friends and family a little top up of Bobby K. I feel very guilty having moved him here to the UK, cranked two kids out of him in quick succession. Like we just don't have time for ourselves, for our marriage, for our friendships. And he deserves to remember an amazing 40th birthday when he's 50 years old and when he's 60 and when he's 80 years old and we go back and do it again. But um, we brought Fena with us. Why? Because Fena is an MVP. She sleeps when she's supposed to sleep. She's smiling when she's awake. And I knew that she needed to be with me because she's still breastfeeding, whereas Fred really wouldn't have enjoyed it. Of course, like if Fred really wanted to go back and see his family and have some time in Toronto, and if he couldn't bear to be away from us, I would bite the bullet and bring him. But he hated Mauritius so much, and he just, he always wants to go home. So I I said, all right, we'll leave Friday evening. We'll be back early Monday morning. He will just be with his executive assistant. See, I keep trying to make executive assistant happen. I don't like calling Miriam Fred's nanny because Fred is like a boss baby. She is his executive assistant. I mean, that is that is what it's like. She's not, you know, and she looks after Fenna sometimes too, but mostly Fenna's with me. And Miriam's so amazing with Fred and she just like caters to all of his nonsense. And that is what a really good high profile executive assistant does. And I look at Fred like the patriarch in succession. He's just like bossing people about. He's a lovely guy. Don't get me wrong. Fred is very sweet and soft with me, but he just wants to do Fred things. And she took him to an Air Force museum while we were away. And she took him to the farm and she took him to the park and he stayed in his routine. And we FaceTimed him. We were worried that he would cry, but he didn't. He was like, hey, I'm doing amazing things today with helicopters, peace. Like he didn't appear to miss us very much, though he was really happy when we came home. And it's just two days. And some people do that all the time, but it was tough for me. Just the two days away from Fred was tough. But I thought one of my gifts to Bobby on his birthday will be the gift of sleep. But we didn't sleep. So we flew Friday late at night. When I got onto the flight, I was a little bit rude to the flight attendant. And this is so unlike me. So British Airways flight attendant, BA999, London Heathrow to Toronto, Friday night. I'm so sorry. She gave me this seatbelt that you have to put around the infant. And I understand that this is, you know, regulated. I don't really understand how a seatbelt's helping anyone. Yes, sometimes in turbulence, a seatbelt is really helpful. But ultimately, like, if the worst happens, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what a seatbelt's going to do. But Fen is so little that the infant seatbelt that you put on her is just ridiculous. Like, I, I really think that she's better off against me in a carrier and I have the seatbelt against my chest underneath the carrier. That way she's not going anywhere. So she's in there. She's asleep. I had to take her out 
wake her up and put this awful seatbelt on her. But you know, I know there's not the woman's problem. It's airline protocol, air stewards and steward hostess, I, flight crew. I'm not sure exactly what the correct political term for your job is. I know that you have a tough job and people are mean to you all the time. And I never, ever want to add to that. But I was just like annoyed with my inner self. I wasn't yelling at her or saying anything to her, but I was just a little bit, a little bit quiet, I guess, which is the best that I can describe it. I was just like, okay, yep, I'll take the baby out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't being my bubbly, friendly self. And I feel bad about that. But I took the baby off. I took Fanna off, got the seatbelt on her, got like her situated again. I start feeding her. And this young woman comes back, circles back, and goes, oh, actually, you have to put this new red infant seatbelt on her. And I said, can I please ask you the difference between the gray one and the red one? And she said, well, it just connects slightly differently. And my safety supervisor is on board, so you just have to use this red one. And I was like, okay. I didn't say anything, but I think I might have closed my eyes or looked away or rolled my eyes some, I did something that I didn't mean to do. It was an involuntary reaction and I was trying to keep it together because I was so tired from work and I was kind of worried about missing Fred. And so I took the red seatbelt and said, all right, thanks. Put it on, gave her back the gray one. And then I sat there belted with Fena while they do all their other bullshit, you know, and all the beeping goes off and then the pilot comes on and it's so loud. It's always so loud. He's like, hi everyone, my name's Neil and I had eggs for breakfast. It's like, no one gives a fuck. It's really late at night. Just get us there safely, please, and we can shake your hand at the end. Um, and then finally, after 10 minutes, Fena started fussing again because she did not want to be asleep on this flight. Fena, like Fred, is kind of a creature of habit, and she's happy to go to sleep, but she had already been annoyed, and it was very bright and very loud. And so she starts crying, and Fena doesn't cry. Like, I don't want her to learn what crying is. If Fena's crying, then something's terribly wrong. She is not a crying baby. So I'm like, oh, God my four-month-old is discovering crying no so I just stood up and patted her on the back a bit bounced around and the woman comes back again and she goes you will have to have her in the seat and I said yes I know that I will have her in the seatbelt but I had her in it for 10 minutes already and we're just not going anywhere yet so can I just calm her down and then I will put her back in the seatbelt before you are in your seatbelt I promise you that I promise you I will do the best thing and I won't get anyone in trouble and the woman was like, yeah, okay, but during takeoff, she had, and I was like, yes. Again, like I just, I understand this woman was doing her job and I didn't do anything aggressive, but you know, usually I'm like 10 out of 10 friendly. So me just sort of holding my breath was mean for me. But I, like, I was just frustrated because the baby was crying. Nobody, nobody wants to have a crying baby on a flight. Nobody wants to have a crying baby in business class for some reason. When you go to business class with small children, people are like, whoa, 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 you're not a businessman. And there's one bassinet in business class now, which I think is funny. There are never bassinets. There were never. Like there isn't even a baby change station in a lot of airline business class toilets. You have to go back to coach and use that toilet to change your baby on most airlines. But it's changed. There is one bassinet now because they think they're saying to themselves, hang on. There will be a businessman who comes on here with a newborn baby one day soon. I know it. And that day, I've never seen that day, but that day might happen. Though I actually did see a man on the flight back who, see, who was, appeared to be the lead caretaker of his two-year-old daughter. He was 
holding her and pushing the buggy and dealing with her when she got upset. And the mom was there, but I don't know if she had like a pulled disc or if this family was just super modern, but she was, I never saw her looking after the baby. I loved it. I was like, what is this brave new world? Sir, help yourself to the bassinet. Fena obviously would not go in the bassinet. Oh, that's another thing the lady said to me. She set the bassinet up. She goes, would you like the bassinet? I said, well, I'll, I'll try it. I was surprised to see it. And she said, okay, but when the seatbelt sign is on, you have to take the baby out of that. I was like, blah, blah, blah. all right, all right. So we flew there. I never saw the woman at the end because I was going to apologize just for being short. I was going to say, look, I'm sorry I was a bit short with you. I was just really scared that my baby was going to learn to cry and like, like it and do it again. But I didn't see her. I hope she wasn't upset. If you're listening, I hope you weren't upset. I was stressed. Then we land and we decided not to stay at a hotel. We decided to stay with my mom, which is something I stopped doing when she opened her home out to strangers. <laughs> my mom started having an Airbnb, like just in our home. And I think I already told you about the time I flew home and there was an entire Brazilian family in her basement, like a mom, a dad and three kids. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm on television. I'm not sleeping here. And then I went to the Four Seasons. I just, I don't like when anyone's around me, let alone like straight, like actual strangers who have paid to sleep in my childhood bedroom, which is a thing. I slept in the childhood bedroom of, who was it? It's like a football person. Wait, it'll come to me. He has a really sexy son. Callum Best is the son. George Best. I slept in his childhood bedroom in Belfast. If you want, I think it's like 71 pounds a night. You can Airbnb George Best's family home, which has been kept exactly the same as it was when he grew up there. Like this is not, no listener of my podcast wants to sleep in George Best's childhood room, but maybe your significant other or your dad does. Maybe there's a stag do coming up and you want to send them to Belfast and they want to sleep in George Best's house. It's like a museum to him with all his books. And when you go around the house, there are different audio things. So you go into the kitchen and his sister will come on and be like, hi. This is where George Best used to eat beans on toast. It's like, it's crazy. But it was fun. So we get to Canada. We decide to stay at my mom's. And that night, we were really tired. As soon as I pulled up to the door, I saw my sister Carrie was there. Carrie does not live with my mom, but she had come over to say hello. And when I see Carrie, I'm so happy. I miss my sister so much. And she had done everything to organize Bobby's party. She was, it was like she was my bridesmaid and this was an actual wedding. Carrie sorted the venue. Carrie sorted the DJ, who I didn't like. Carrie sorted the caterers, who are amazing. Carrie sorted a bartender. Carrie ordered all of the liquor and carried it herself up the stairs, and she cleaned after the party as well. Carrie invited her own friends to be party starters. These are girls that are really good at twerking on the dance floor, and they just liven up a night. I was very impressed with Carrie's friends. And Carrie just is a really good boss. She even took the catering and passed it around. Carrie was holding a plate of sliders during the party. And I don't know who could mistake my sister for a server because she looks exactly like me, only younger and better. Carrie came up to this group of guests at the party and one of the women was like, what is that? And Carrie's like, they're sliders. And she goes, what's in that? And Carrie goes, I don't know. Like it's a cheeseburger slider. She goes, is there mayo in it? And Carrie goes, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Do you want one or not? It's a slider. And the woman was a bit like, oh, why is, this, why is this waitress speaking to me that way? And it's because 
girly. It wasn't a waitress. It was my sister. Anyway, she didn't take the slider, but they were delicious sliders. We had roast beef sandwiches with sauerkraut. We had mac and cheese, and we had delicious tater top poutine. I had a secret bottle of mezcal behind the bar. That was off the chain. I drank mezcal and soda all night, and I did not get hungover at all. I mean, look, I was a little bit hungover, but I wasn't very drunk, and I was not what I would usually describe as hungover. But that evening at my mom's, when I saw her, I was a little bit panicked because I thought, oh my God, Carrie is a good time. She's going to be here. We're going to be playing poker in a couple hours and I need to be in bed. But um, no, she just had a quick little visit with Fena, helped me give Fena a bath. I had pre-ordered, oh, this is a smart thing to do if you have small children. I did an Amazon pre-order for a baby bouncer for Fena to go to my mom's and the baby bath seat to be at my mom's before we got there so that we didn't have to check any bags. We checked no bags, my favorite way to fly. We just zoomed out of that airport. We were door to door in 40 minutes from Toronto airport to my mom's. And then um, Fena went straight to sleep because why? Because she's the MVP. And then Carrie is so responsible now because she is the owner of the Toronto and Eglinton location of Clinique de Mode. She's up early and she's working and she's organizing all of that new opening of the location as well in tandem with her brother-in-law's birthday. So she went home to bed. Bobby and I had some fat bastard burrito and we went to bed and then the next day got cracking. It was busy, busy, busy. We got up, we got ready. I went to Clinique de Mode for an amazing hydrofacial. It's my favorite type of facial. It's non, what does Carrie call some of these facials? Ablasive? I mean, there's a word. I could look it up, but I won't. It's not one of the facials like, you know, Fractora or a chemical peel where, you know, your face is having work. You know what I mean? It hurts or it's like pinches or whatever. No, it's this lovely suction with like different skin treatments and it clears all impurities from your skin. It's so relaxing. It feels so nice. Carrie did that with something called Forma, which is warm and is supposed to improve skin elasticity, but I don't know because it was very comfortable and I don't trust any facial that's really comfortable. I feel like if you want a result, you have to be like cringing in pain, I think, but I don't know. See, people ask me all the time about skincare and I have to say that, you know, Joanne receives all of your emails. If you ever want to write me an email, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Joanne says, oh, everyone's asking about your skin. It's summer, it's spring. You have to do a skincare episode. There isn't enough to put in an episode. I don't wear makeup very often. If I do wear makeup, I make sure to clean my face very thoroughly. I do like the Elemis skin cleaner. I have a cow shed one, but mostly because I have small babies and I'm lazy. I just use cotton wool pads and micellar water or micellar water. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I use that. And I always moisturize. I use retinol vitamin A now and then. I use vitamin C in the morning. And then I always use SPF and that's it. And then sometimes I visit my friends as a special treat for a facial. My friend Kate, she's on Instagram at The Unique Skin. She'll come to your house and do a variety of different treatments. If you are anywhere near Kensington, Mayfair area, then you have to go to Dr. Nina. And if you live up north like me, Cheek Medispa in Hertfordshire is a really like Harley Street quality Um, salon that you can go to and they do everything. They'll do like pain and non-pain and uh, makeup tattoos and IPL and like everything, big and small, everything at Cheek Meta Spa. I love it there. 
But ultimately, I just stayed out of the sun my entire life, and I can't like retroactively tell you to do that unless you are a 12-year-old listener and then just never get a burn on your face. Try to always wear SPF, and then you have beautiful skin forever. But 12-year-olds don't care about that because they don't think they're going to care what their skin looks like when they're 40. And the other day, actually, I saw Nina, and I had Botox, and I haven't had Botox in years, so it was long overdue. I just get a bit of baby Botox around like my eyebrows and forehead. So the day of the party, I went to the Medispa, Carrie's Clinique de Mode, and she did the hydrofacial. Bobby's mother, Tracy, was there. God bless the woman who gave birth to my husband. I love her so much. I love to see her. And the sisters, all of Bobby's sisters were there, and they were meeting Fena for the very first time. So that was a fun girls' day at the salon. We had some champagne and everything. And then the boys went to a Blue Jays game at the Sky Dome. Is that what it's called? Rogers Center? I think it's been renamed. And they had a private booth. I can really recommend this company called Sweet Hop. Sweet, like S-U-I-T-E, Hop. That is a a third-party reseller, which is always a little bit dodgy. I did a whole episode about it a few weeks ago. It makes me nervous to use something like this. But if people have a corporate box at a stadium and they can't use it all the time, sometimes they'll list it somewhere like Sweet Hop so that people can buy it and borrow it for that game. And I think that's a good way to get corporate funds back. Or I don't know, maybe like a rich family has a box. I don't know. what I think it's mostly corporate. But we borrowed box number 341. And the boys had an amazing time. They cater it with Caesars, which is this really delicious Canadian drink and beer and food. And I just wanted the boys to have their time because male friendships, whether Bobby realizes it or not, are a big part of his life. He was always in sports and playing American football. He had all these guys around him all the time, and I really noticed it in him when that went away, when he moved to the UK and then there was lockdown. I noticed a loneliness in him. And women, they say, who was it? Jane Fonda, I think, published something about this on Instagram earlier in the week. It was probably Jane Fonda. There's no one better. But women uh, live longer and our mental health is more robust because we talk to each other and we sit face to face. We talk about our feelings and we have conversations and we catch up with each other. But boys don't do that. They do kind of what Fred does, which is this parallel play where they'll sort of do something next to another boy. or And sometimes they'll converse a bit, but it's not this face to face like, talk to me about your feelings. They don't do that. So I thought I needed to give the boys some parallel play where they're watching something happen and they're not face to face, but they might be side by side watching like someone pitch. I don't know, baseball language, like hit, hit a ball. Uh, someone, someone from Puerto Rico scores a touchdown on the baseball pitch. And then they say something like, oh, and by the way, my, my wife has kidney disease. I don't know. I don't know, but they might like lean to the side and share something meaningful. And I just thought the boys needed that time without the wives. So the wives went out in the town, they had oysters, and then we all met up at the party afterwards and it was super fun. And I'm so grateful for everyone who attended. And I just, I felt a little bit sad. Okay. I don't mean this in a judgmental way and I don't want this to get back to anyone and think that I'm like being a bitch because let me be clear. Here is everything that I do for my friends. Let me list it now. End of list. I don't see my friends. I don't send their children birthday cards. I don't call them. I hardly text them. My childhood friends and I have a group WhatsApp and we talk on that every once in a while 
truly not often. And I moved away from that town 20 years ago. And then I moved away from that country five years after that. So like I am a very arm's length friend. I know that I offer, like I bring nothing to the table, but I still consider us to all be friends. I still sort of feel like when I see them, we pick right right up where we left off. I saw them last summer and um, I always enjoy their company and I consider them my friends. I always say like my friendship group, my friendship group. I don't know why I say that really um, when we don't see each other. And then a few of them even came to my show in Toronto in the summer, which I was very touched by. Um, I didn't expect that because moms, I don't know. I, we have a different set of responsibilities, especially if you are a Canadian mom, you are touring with your children, playing competitive sports. They all play travel hockey or travel basketball or travel something. And that takes up every single weekend of your life. I fully empathize with that. I totally understand that the schedule makes no sense. However, None of my friends came to this party, (laughs) not one. And I told them about it months ago. And I know that they can't move the hockey schedule. And I totally, I get it. Like I have a lot of small children myself and I don't make many sacrifices for them. But I sort of feel like if one of them flew from Sarnia to like Liverpool, which is three hours from my house, same distance sort of as Bobby's party venue was from their house, I sort of feel like months in advance, I might put something in place uh, so that I could attend. I think it would be weird otherwise. Like I, I feel like if my friend was having a party three hours away from me and I hadn't organized for like my husband to do the travel hockey or like Fred's executive assistant, for example, to take him to something, I would feel weird about it. I would lay in bed being like, oh my God, she's only three hours away from me and I didn't go. I don't know. I might, I don't know. Um, however, I have to underline that small feeling of hurt with like, I always want everyone to do exactly what works for them and their family all the time. And I would never take it to heart or hold a grudge or like be actually pissed off and I do nothing for anyone. So like, I, I fully get it, but I just think like, I, oh, your husband couldn't do it. Oh, okay. Or some of them don't have kids. It's like, what were you doing? Oh, well. Um, It was super fun anyway, and all of Bobby's friends made the effort. This is what was so touching, because I did, I've noticed this at people's weddings before. You're like, I'm, I go to weddings like, what's the point of this wedding? But then you look around and you go, oh my God, people got a babysitter, people dressed up, people traveled, people got a hotel, like it's people investing in you. And Bobby's friends are just so invested in him. They're so sweet. And a lot of them gave recorded speeches on this video that I did. I was inspired by this, I think, Irish trend where uh, there's a videographer at a wedding, for example, and they're filming all the guests. And one guest will be like, hello, my name is Michael. This is my first drink. And happy wedding, whatever. And then they film him again at the end of the night. And he's like, my name is Michael. This is my last drink. And the contrast is kind of funny and they look different facially when they're drunk and also they give a different message when they're drunk. Not that I advocate being drunk. I really don't. Tipsy is the best thing that you can be. But um, I had a videographer who was amazing, this woman, Caroline, and she brought uh, her partner. I'm not sure if they're romantic partners or professional partners. Put a pin in that. He was called Jared. They did a great job of first drink, last drink videos of all of Bobby's friends and the speeches that some of them gave. Bobby's friend, Nick Cameron, 
gave the most beautiful, I wonder if I can play some of it for you. I mean, these boys, like whatever you think about men, you'll be touched by this. I don't mind stealing bread from the mouths of decadence. So what, we live together, shenanigans. I think timing worked out perfectly for us when you decided you weren't going to live with those guys. And I had a greasy handlebar mustache. And I actually had an opening in my house for you to stay in. Did that ever work out amazing? Because I can't think of one single time ever. I can't think of one memory that's not absolutely golden with you. So that could be from a houseboat tour to going up to Rilo's Cottage from you jumping off my garage roof into the snow. Well, I came all the way down from Fenland Falls to see you. I'm going to go over to England to see you. So I think that that probably speaks for itself in terms of how I feel about you. You don't have any brothers and you know that you are my brother. I love you, buddy. Adorable. Adorable. I love that man. I love all of Bobby's friends. And you know, I'm so grateful that he was under their care for the 20 years that I didn't know him because Bobby and most guys probably (laughs) used to be a prick when he was a teenager. I still loved him. I knew my husband was in there somewhere, but this wonderful group of friends that he has just really brought out in him the man that I love today. So I hope it was all right to play that. I did redact some of it because that man is a teacher. So, you know, I won't, I will not have you sounding anything less than the gentleman that you are on the internet, boys. Don't worry. And I won't release the whole video, obviously, ever. It's a private video for Bobby that was made, but like, oh, every speech on it was just so beautifully articulate and so cute. And I am so grateful to everyone who made the trip for Bobby's birthday. It was so much fun. And then the next day, my mom did a brunch for anyone that needed a little English fry up before they returned to their respective homes. All the Kutstra ladies made it and some of Bobby's friends made it. And my mom really busted out of her shell and served pea meal bacon, which is like delicious Canadian bacon. Oh, speaking of Canadian, how did you like the accent and snow references in Nick's speech? I mean, and the little song as well. Woo. What? It, like if you're looking for a man, Nick is very married, but if you are looking for a wonderful husband, Canada is the place. I feel like, hang on, I'm pitching it now. Oh, yes. Yes. My little producer mind is working. Do you remember when my sister, whose husband Alan is a realtor, and shout out to Alan for also organizing so much about the party, they sent me this big, empty, beautiful church in Nova Scotia. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere of Nova Scotia, and it would not be pretty in the winter, but it's this big church, huge lot. It's like a palace for only 250,000 Canadian dollars. And I looked at that and my sister's like, you should buy this. And I showed it to Bobby. I said, can we please buy this and like do it up? And he said, absolutely not. We're not living in Nova Scotia, but I am now pitching a dating show. It's like Love Island, but instead of sexy bronzed singles, it's single moms or divorcees. You absolutely don't have to have children to be part of this, but you have to have the body type and the age bracket that says, you know, I've lived a life. I've had some experiences. Nothing like a Love Island body. Just you are a woman like me. 
and you're single like I was single. And maybe you're not even looking to meet someone like I wasn't looking to meet someone. And then we take you and we fly you with me to Nova Scotia, or better yet, hear me out, Newfoundland. And we set up in one of these places and we do like a love island, but it'll be for divorcees looking to meet Canadian men. And then I'll be the host and I'll go around this country finding like broad shoulders, hunky, accented Canadian men who like know how to take care of your lawn and they know how to fish and they have people in their life like Will Northcote and Nick Cameron and all of Bobby's friends that I'm so happy to know. And you can do away with the tight jeans and the hoity-toity Britishness where you don't even know someone's sexual orientation here. Like, is he posh? Or you don't have to, you don't have to guess. You don't play that game in Canada. There are just men chopping wood waiting to meet you, ladies. And that dating service starts here. And I'm pitching it to, I was going to say ITV, no, 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 BBC4. Um, <laughs> I just love, I love Canadian men. Maybe it's because I just grew up there. I don't know. I don't know. But I was blown away by Bobby's friendships and I had such an amazing time. So thank you again to the venue, to chiefly my sister who organized everything, to my mom and Alan and good old grandfather Abe for getting everything prepared for the party whilst I sat back and just like paid for it and did nothing else. I did nothing else but eat. Oh, and here's another fun fact. I officially have celiac disease on paper, but I never have symptoms of it. But while I was pregnant, I was like, I better stop eating gluten. Just it's for the best. It's doing something right. So I completely took it out of my diet. And then while I was in Canada, I ate a bit of gluten here and there. (laughs) Well, guess who's made themselves gluten intolerant? Now I have symptoms. So if you think you're allergic to something, not that celiac is an allergy, but it manifests as an allergy. Don't take it out of your diet. Do not. Because as soon as you do, if you reintroduce it after two years of not eating it, you will be mega allergic to it. But I had a great time. And then we flew back. Sunday evening, we saw Fred Monday morning. We were so excited to see him. And it was a quick quick trip and we're not rested. We didn't get any rest at all, but I think it was worth it. And the element of secondary fun will last for years to come. And so Bobby, I hope you liked your birthday trip. We're gonna have a nice family birthday tomorrow. I've tried to explain to Fred what birthdays are. I think he gets it. He knows how old he is. He knows he's one and he'll be two when he has a birthday in June and that it's daddy's birthday tomorrow. So Bobby's on the Mark Wahlberg diet again, definitely after Canada. I'm going to have to make a cake out of fucking biltong. Oh, if you're looking, if your husband is like my husband, and God bless you if he is, there's this company in the UK called Bulk, and they have discount protein powder and glutamine and all these like jerkies and peanut butter bars, protein things, like really good things that Bobby likes. So visit Bulk. This is not an ad, but these are some ads coming now. And then when we return, I will open the emails and see if you have any advice for other listeners. If you would like some advice from me, let's see what Joanne put together for us this week. If you ever want me to read your email, if you want to write me an email, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Let's see what Joanne's got for us this week. Listen, Catherine. Listen, Catherine. She's getting confident. Listen, Catherine. Since your Mauritius episode, you've been getting scores of emails from people trying to help you be less pale. What? How dare they? Do they not know that 
First of all, a lot of the world is very racist at the minute. I would do great in Texas. Secondly, um, Victorian skin is in, I thought. Like, what? I tried to ignore these, she says, but more emails have come in. This, uh, the early 2000s was super stressful for a pale girl like me. This is Joanne. Even though I'm much darker than you are, fuck off. You'll recall you even had pointed this out and told me it was because mom had male office mates who were Italian and Portuguese, respectively, and that I should look into that. Thanks. Well, I had to bully you at every turn, didn't I? There was so much added prep and stress into making myself tanned. I'd fret over, over having to put on my gym kit and expose either pale legs, orange legs, or streaky orange legs. It's been so blissful the last decade and a half as the tan trend has seemingly disappeared. But is it coming back? Every time one of your fans writes in with products that they can use to achieve a sunless tan, I fret over the idea of having to add this back into my self-care routine. My sheets wouldn't have it. Sorry to have sneakily turned the weekend roundup into my own submission to the show. Big fan, Joanne. Look, Joanne, you live in Canada, so maybe pale is fine in Canada, but in the UK, you have to realize how close we are to the Republic of Ireland, and girls still like to tan, and they like to be orange. And I feel like, maybe because Canada is more of a melting pot, even though the UK is very diverse, but I mean, the Celtic blood runs thick here, and I, I think maybe they're just a little bit behind, and they haven't accepted See, because this isn't even about pale or not pale. This is about you just have to embrace your ethnicity. Do you know? Like, should darker people be using skin lightening products? Should pale people be using skin darkening products? I just think, I personally believe, without offending anyone, like culturally, I'm never going to tell you what to do with your body. But for me, you've just got to work what you've got. And I say that as someone with breast implants who is looking to maybe get more surgery as she gets older. I just think your bed sheets will thank you. Yeah, fake tan, Joanne, don't worry about it. You look good, pale, and you are darker than I am, so I don't have to listen to this at all. Okay, Catherine, is there good porn and bad porn? Some recent episodes about porn OnlyFans and their negative impact on relationships had me thinking of my personal experience with porn. One morning, I came home unexpectedly after leaving for work because I'd forgotten something. I found my boyfriend pounding out... To clowns, little people, circus tents, all of it, yeah. Anyway, recently I learned about makelovenotporn.org through the iWay podcast. Shout out Jamila Jamil. MLNP, Make Love Not Porn, is a site people can upload their own videos with their partners or alone that are vetted before being uploaded to the site. The major difference is MLNP is real people making real sex, love, self-love, kink in real life. I've spent some time on it. It is hot, but the people are real. Real looking, real emotion, real consent. According to the Insta, my most trusted news source, it seems to have a great effect on people's view on porn. Maybe it can help some of your listeners open their mind to a different type of porn. I would love your opinion. Check it out. Oh, no. Oh, God. I don't like any porn. I don't want to see anyone having sex. I do feel happy that this seems to be consent-based and based in, like, love and, you know, mutual enthusiasm. And there appears to be no money-changing hands or, like, coercion. Like, that's all very important. I love that. But I mean, it is very difficult for me to relate to wanting to watch another person do anything naked. I don't, I went to a live drawing class with a bunch of girlfriends and there was no sex involved in that. There's just like a naked man. And I thought, get him out of here. Like, I don't want, I don't want to see it. 
Fred is naked all of the time. <laughs> we, our family is like Donald Duck. Like no one ever has any pants on. And I'm like, I've, I've just seen enough nudity full stop. I don't even like the dogs that have like their tails turned up so you can always see their asshole. I just don't like that. In a context of like sexual or non-sexual, nudity to me is just like, there are such beautiful clothes that you can wear and then I don't feel cold looking at you and I don't have to look at a doll, a dog's balls and I just don't wanna see it. I don't wanna see it in a sexual way or in a non-sexual way. I don't wanna see anyone naked, I'm sorry. Does that make me a prude? Maybe. <laughs> but yeah. There are listeners who might benefit from make love, not porn. It sounds good. And I don't want to kick kink shame anyone, but my kink is trousers. Well, thank you for that. That's very helpful advice. Oh, my accountant's calling me. Nope. All right. Catherine, yeah. <laughs> Catherine, you should let your 13-year-old drive. I know. Oh, okay. The title of this made me laugh. This is a company that's actually really cool. So yes, I will give you a free shout out on the podcast. Catherine, I love the podcast and your general fabulousness. I was thrilled to hear in the Mark Wahlberg dad bod episode that Violet is interested in driving. As it happens, Young Driver provides driving lessons for 10 to 17 year olds all over the UK. And I thought you might be interested in learning more. Our driving lessons take place on private land, and your nearest location would likely be Hertfordshire County Showground. We believe that learning to drive before 17 can make young drivers safer when they eventually get on the road, and it's also an incredibly fun experience. I know you don't like freebies, but I'd like to offer you a special 10% discount. All right, so basically full price. Off a (laughs) young driver lesson for Violet and any of her friends she may want to bring along. Well, do you want me to say this code on the podcast? Because 10% is a good discount. I'm just kidding. I am used to being offered things for free. Um, I won't say the discount on the podcast. I'll say it next week if you write me back and give me permission to share it. Um, There's a discount code here that's like, you know, my name, sort of, my little family name, 10. And uh, you use that at checkout when booking online. Please feel free to check out our website when you have time. Our website is youngdriver.com. Calm. And I have been wanting to take Violet to this. I do. I, I read uh, an email from you guys a while ago. I think it's a great initiative to get young people driving, make them feel really confident. Um, I'm sure because it's on private land, it's all on the up and up and it's super safe. I haven't looked into it further, but if you have a child between 10 and 17, or you are a child between 10 and 17, I just like kids out in the world doing stuff because, you know, teenagers aren't even welcome to exist in their own communities. They can't go anywhere without being branded like troublemakers. So any activity for them, especially a positive one, like becoming more confident on the road, I think is great. So listeners, I can't give you the discount code, but maybe next week I can. If you have young people and you want to check it out, they have locations all over the UK, youngdriver.com. Catherine, I'm trying to limit my teen's screen time. How can I do this when even I am addicted? Catherine, I've heard you mention one of your age-appropriate Easter prizes for Violet was extra screen time, and it got me wondering, how do you manage this with her? My oldest are 13-year-old twin girls. Oh, good luck. One of them is a standard addicted in the sense that she'll come off the screen with only about a thousand prompts. The other one is like an actual addict and only wants more, 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 more. I can safely say it's her only motivation in life, not food, not movies, not one-on-one time, not clothes shopping, not a five-star hotel where we had a standoff with her for not swimming. They aren't allowed their phones upstairs in their bedrooms. I have access to all their social media and they don't get their phones Monday to Thursday. 
I still feel out of control. I too am out of control. So my daughter didn't lick it off the ground. I should know better. I shouldn't even be emailing now as this is supposed to be my screen time, my screen free time. There are times when I want to hurl my phone into the sea. I also think it's lowering neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters and brain function. When they first got their iPhones, I went down a rabbit hole of various spyware, but none of them were compatible with TikTok and Snapchat. Now I spot checked, albeit inconsistently. I need a simple formula for me and the kids, dummy proof. Oh my God, I don't know. You already limit the screen time more than I do. I feel like, okay, and I'm not an expert. I'm sure that there are experts listening. And I think, you know, I've always said, I think the phone is like a tool. Would I give Fred, my toddler, all the tools that he would like? No, I wouldn't let him have a chainsaw or drive a tractor or do any of that stuff. I would let him in a controlled environment sit in a tractor while it's turned off. And that's how we have to approach screen time and phones and the internet and especially social media with kids. I don't have all the answers and I would love to get them for you. But I feel like limiting the phones Monday to Thursday might be a mistake. I think maybe your teenager is phone starved because we have to remember at 13, all of their communication happens with Snapchat, all of it. And I have tried to take this away from Violet numerous times. And by tried, I mean, you know, I've taken it away. It's not hard to follow through on what you say you're going to do. But then I, after the ban, I like give it back and I feel sad that I took it because they don't call each other. They don't pop around to each other's houses as much. They see each other at school, but... Snapchat has really ingrained itself into every aspect of their social lives. So you want them to be socially connected. I would allow maybe an hour after homework is done, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Violet's screen time is three hours a day. So maybe three hours on a Friday, three hours on a Saturday and Sunday. And I think you're good to spot check. And you're right, the spyware that I know of, unless listeners know of any other spyware, all the stuff that I know of is not compatible with these things. It's like, I found this one type, but you need to have an Android and I don't have that. I mean, I didn't really understand, but it's my job to understand and yours. And so I think if you guys set screen time, screen time limitations, then it's sort of beyond you. Do you know what I mean? If you give your daughter two hours, if you're comfortable with that, or three hours like Violet has at age 13, and it runs out, it runs out. And then it teaches her about budgeting too. It's like, well, you had three hours and you should have budgeted it differently. Oh, please, when I really want to... All right, well, if you go swimming with your sister or if you empty the dishwasher, if you do whatever, you can earn more. It's a currency to them. So treat it like currency, treat it like money. And you really have to set a budget for yourself too. I mean, I use my phone for work and I also use it for white noise to help the baby sleep. So I mean, my screen time's all over the place, but... You really need to think about the reward that you're getting every time you pick up your phone. Maybe put an elastic band around your wrist and snap it to stop that little dopamine hit. Remind yourself that you can get dopamine from other things. But certainly, the girls loving the phone so much is an opportunity, I think, for all of us to teach them to control their own budgeting, but with screen time. Whoa, whoa, this next one is called Overnight Penis Sweat? I don't know if that's sweat. Catherine, my husband is 47. I'm 48. We've been together for 20 years and we have older children. We are at the point now where we have free time to take up new hobbies, spend more time as a couple, and regain our identities that have been set aside for a while. On the whole, it's great. 
we're happy with our lot. About three years ago, my husband embarked upon a regular, gentle exercise regime in an attempt to reduce his crippling back pain. And over by time, little by little, the pain began to lessen. That's great, I hear you say. It's something to celebrate, right? Well, three years ago is a long time, and as the pain level diminished for him, the intensity and preoccupation with this regime has increased dramatically. What started as half an hour gentle stretch in the morning has morphed into an hour-long sweat fest every single day, rain or shine, in my kitchen? This is the crux of it. Should I be expected to tolerate this shirtless, dripping, huffing, puffing man as I'm welcoming in my new day? Should I have to watch as he lumbers around in his pants, overnight penis sweat, dripping on my Italian terracotta floor tiles? Should I have to listen as his sticky, duvet-warmed, cheesy foot soles squelch up and down on the exercise mat for 60 fucking minutes? It started as a minor annoyance, but now it makes me so mad. Surely I have the right to eat my muesli in peace without having to fight the urge to be sick in my mouth. Ultimately, am I the asshole? Whilst I'm delighted that he is relatively pain-free, stronger, and fitter as a result of the exercise, I also want him to get dressed and fuck off to the gym. How do I resolve this situation? Overnight penis sweat. So you love that your husband's working out, but he gives you the ick. I understand. When Bobby works out right here in the podcast studio slash home gym, there is a lot of noise. He really grunts and sort of counts, but he wears headphones. so He can't hear it, but it's really like, it's weird. It's weird for someone who doesn't work out, but those are the noises. Like, I think people committed to physical fitness don't really think about the noises. And I appreciate that your husband is really zeroed in on this fitness. I mean, if you love him, maybe you don't. Maybe you have the ick because you're sort of like over it. You've been married 20 years and, you know, maybe you're just sort of existing in a marriage. But if you love him, as I hope you do, and maybe you do, I'm not accusing you of not loving him, but if you do... You just have to remind yourself that what he's doing is like lengthening your time together. Like he's not going to have a pulmonary embolism on an airplane or like go into cardiac arrest on a Peloton like Mr. Big because he's, you know, getting fit now and doing wonderful things so that you can enjoy more time together. And presumably like, what's this doing for your sex life? And But why is his penis sweating in the night? Overnight penis sweat. I, ooh, okay. I think he's doing something that is definitely positive and you're not an asshole, but because it's giving you the ick, I think you need to remove yourself from the situation. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why he's sweating at night, but maybe a compromise would be uh, in the morning when you're doing all this like fresh of the day, 60 minutes of working out. It's only 60 minutes. Maybe you could take yourself for a walk outside or go for a coffee or just spend an extra hour in bed, like reading or do some skincare. Just kind of take yourself away from it and then say to him respectfully, babe, you look incredible. I love, uh, that you're pain free and you're doing such a positive thing, but this working out is making you really sweaty at night and I need you to take a shower before you go to bed or like, or a sauna maybe. I mean, Bobby finds that after he works out, a sauna just sweats everything out and then he has a cold shower or a swim and he feels good. I think you could even invest in a home sauna. I'll find out. I don't know how much this one is that's in the workout studio, but it looks pretty cheap. You could put it in your garden and just encourage him to do something to address this penis, penis sweat that you mentioned 
because I'm worried about your Italian terracotta tiles as well. And I don't want you to have the ick, but I, I think you can't stop him from working out because it's such a positive thing. So wait, let me call Bobby and see if he has any advice. Hang on. Hello? Hi, do you mind if I ask you something quickly for the podcast? Um, yeah, sure. I'm just with Fred, so it might get a bit chaotic. Well, you can ask him as well. It's really quick. Basically, this, sure. this woman, um, her husband's working out a lot, and she likes that. He started working out every day for 60 minutes. But she mentions that um, he gets overnight penis sweat. Huh? Yeah, and I thought... Like, he's working out in the day, and that's great. It kind of makes her sick to watch. But then at night, he's really sweaty in bed. So do you think having a sauna after working out or a shower or, like, before bed or something would fix that? Uh, that's really strange. I, yeah, I would suggest a shower. But, I mean, how heavy is this guy? <laughs> Probably not heavy because he's working out 60 minutes a day, and he's pain-free yeah. now. He's doing this, like, stretching regime. Oh, maybe he's not really... I don't know. She said it's stretching, but you're not familiar maybe he's with. Taking like, maybe he's taking like some like hydroxy cut, some like cutter, like some supplements that are like doing some work during the night because that doesn't make sense otherwise. Like, like some caffeine supplements and or some fat burners, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. It's the first. Yeah, ask about the supplements. That's all I can really come up with on my own. Okay, thanks, babe. All right. Love you. Bye. Oh, no. Okay, I've looked online and it said night sweating in men can be attributed to low levels of testosterone. Even though as men age, it's normal for the level of testosterone to go down, goes too low, and they can get night sweats. Um, okay, also, why do I sweat in my private area at night? This answer says it's due to a high concentration of sweat glands and hair follicles in one place. The groin is an area of the body that behaves much like the armpits. It's hairy, warm, full of sweat glands and bacteria. Oh no, is it normal to sweat? Underlying health conditions, oh no, so he, shit, this is a rabbit hole. He might have hyperthyroidism or is he obese? Antiperspirants and deodorants can be used to stop sweat and control order in the groin area. Okay, so here's what you need to do. Ask him if he's taking supplements. Tell him that might be bad for him. Uh, spray his penis maybe with, an antiperspirant before he goes to bed and his feet and then if none of that works make sure he's having a shower before bed or like doing some, doing something to cool off maybe a sauna after the workout but if none of it works he needs to talk to a doctor check his thyroid levels testosterone levels and make sure that this isn't an underlying health problem that is just existing alongside his new exercise regimen okay i'm going to leave you with this last horrifying email Catherine: surgery in turkey and stolen kidneys I've just listened to your podcast from a few weeks ago about the nurse hearing about a lady having her kidney taken unbeknownst to her. This is much more common than you think. My cousin's friend, see, I don't know, my cousin's friend, my cousin, every urban legend is like my cousin's friend. So I don't know. I'm, I need to speak to this person direct. My cousin's friend went to Turkey for a boob job. She came back to the UK. She went to the GP to have her dressings taken off. The nurse asked her what surgery she had. She replied, boob job. The nurse pointed to a scar near her chest area, but not her breasts and said, 
What other surgery did you have? She responded, nothing. That's just where they went in with the camera to see what they were doing. The nurse immediately went to get the duty doctor who ordered a scan. Turns out she had also had a kidney taken without her consent or knowledge. She's since investigated this further. The company slash hospital she used have denied all responsibility and they say they use subcontractors. These subcontractors apparently disappear overnight and no one can get a hold of them. A kidney can apparently fetch hundreds of thousands of pounds on the black market. I feel so bad for these people, as not only had your safety and trust been violated, but your health might also be compromised when this happens. Put it this way, for people to deal with trauma from a burglary, they could at least move house. But these girls can't change what's happened to their bodies. They have to live with these feelings for the rest of their lives. Okay, I'm going to do an entire section next week dedicated to figuring out if this is really fucking happening because they always say don't go get surgery abroad but like i don't know i follow some surgeons who seem like if they were taking kidneys we would know about it oh it's all so dangerous isn't it okay thank you for this warning if you know anyone who has gone abroad to have surgery and had a terrible or good result please please write into the podcast telling everybody everything at gmail.com My advice about plastic surgery, full stop, even though I've had it myself, is that, you know, you have to research and it can improve your self-esteem, but there's always a risk and it can go wrong. And also you can spend thousands and put this small risk to your life on the table and not feel better about yourself at the end. So in a perfect world, you would just find ways to accept who you are, accept that you're pale, accept, you know, that your boobs are smaller than you would like them to be or your bum is flatter than you would like it to be and like maybe take on a good exercise regimen but then your wife's gonna be pissed off and she's not gonna wanna look at you sweating your sweaty penis all over the Italian terracotta. I don't know what the answer is. Let's find the answer together. It's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. See you next week.